Wilma Rudolph, born in June 1940, Clarksville, Tennessee. Keep in mind, 1940, Clarksville, Tennessee. Okay, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind for a moment. She was born into a large family. She was the 20th of 22 children. Um, her her uh, father was married twice. First wife died. Our parents, Ed and Blanche Rudolph, were honest, hard-working, God-fearing people. They were very poor. 1940, that wasn't unusual on the heels, really, of the, of the Depression and so forth from the early 30s. Um, he worked as a railroad porter and a handyman. She did cooking and laundry and house cleaning for many of the wealthy white families in, uh, in uh, Clarksville. Um, the girls in the family dressed uh, by their mother making dresses for them out of, out of uh, burlap bags because that's all they had. Uh, Wilma was born prematurely. She weighed 4.5 pounds uh, when she was born. Now, 1940, Clarksville, Tennessee, 50 miles from Nashville. You're not looking at, I mean, you're not looking at the kind of medicine we are today in that part of the world. Um, because of racial segregation, obviously, she couldn't go to many of, of, the, uh, of the better Vanderbilt, some of the other places where that would be um, more acceptable. She ended up being, uh, they found a place for her at Fisk University to have some treatment. That's in Nashville, about 50 miles away, as I said. Um, she was, um, there was only one doctor in Clarksville. The Rudolph's budget was very tight, so Wilma's mother spent several years nursing her through all sorts of illnesses, which included measles, mumps, scarlet fever, chickenpox, double pneumonia. Uh, she had to be taken to the doctors. They discovered that her left leg and foot were becoming weak and deformed. Um, she was told that she had polio, which, keep in mind, at that time was a, a crippling disease. Um, through medical care and a lot of therapy, and her brothers and sisters would actually help with that therapy because they couldn't have, uh, they couldn't afford the kind of medical care they really needed. And, but nonetheless, her mother still made the drive 50 miles, which was a long ways in 1940 before interstate highways, and really not many state highways in Clarksville, um, would go to Nashville to Fisk University once a month for that. Wilma Rudolph did not walk without the help of a brace, crutches, or corrective shoes until she was 12 years old. At that time, at 12 years old is when she decided, I want to, be, I want to do something fun. I want to be an athlete. And she started playing basketball. Ended up starring on her, on, uh, her high school, middle school, or junior high at that time, and, and high school basketball teams. Then she started running, started uh, making a, and setting some state records. She went to her first Olympic Games in 1956 at age 16, and she won a bronze medal in the 4x4 relay. But then on September the 7th, 1960, the Rome uh, Games and uh, Olympic Games, Wilma, Wilma became the first American woman of any color, the first American woman to win three gold medals. She won the 100-meter dash, the 200-meter dash, and ran the anchor of the 400-meter dash, which is where you put your fastest person. Um, she became one of the most celebrated female athletes of the time, later on being asked by then-Vice President Hubert Humphrey to be involved in some other things on a national basis. 
uh, both for minorities as well as just for physical fitness. And then later on asked by Dr. Billy Graham to be a part of the Crusades because of her strong faith uh, of the, uh, some of the Billy Graham Crusade. And she could, would, be, would be talking and so forth about her faith. Um, there was a story written about her. She wrote her autobiography called Wilma. There was a made-for-TV movie. Couldn't show you any of that because it's only on VHS and, uh, and very difficult to find. And, um, and, then on, uh, then, and then, tragically, she developed brain cancer, and she died in uh, November of 1994. She was 54 years old. And then later on, 1997, um, governor of Tennessee uh, declared June 23rd her birthday as Wilma Rudolph Day uh, throughout Tennessee. Quite a story, isn't it? Amazing woman. Amazing woman. And one that um, I remember reading about and hearing about her when I was younger. Uh, Some of you may not. But one of the things I wanted to kind of bounce from her life, and I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth a little bit, but one of the things I wanted to take, excuse me, from her life was what are the characteristics of one like a Wilma Rudolph? And there are many other people in sports, in business, in academia, in many many different, in every realm really of life. Um, what are the characteristics of, of those people who do overcome what I call these huge... I use the term hurdles because it's a, it's a track term, and I thought it'd be kind of cute to use that since she was a track person. What are some of those characteristics? In some ways, I've spent a lot of my years of life studying that, thinking through that, because, number one, it's, so, it, it's appealing, isn't it? It's appealing to many of us to think about people who overcome things. And yet, all of us have had some different things that we've had to overcome in life. Um, Maybe it was physical. Maybe it was a learning disability. Maybe it was education. Didn't get the education you wanted or needed. Maybe it was a, a, a bad relationship, bad marriage, no marriage. Maybe it was, uh, you know, and, and some of you may be in that right now. I don't know. So what is that? What are the characteristics? What are those characteristics? So that, and if I'm not really overcoming anything right now, maybe I can just sort of file these away in, in the back burner, so to speak, of my brain, so that when those things do come, I can think through that again. Um, and that's what I want to do. And some of these things are, I'm going to show you some different things we're going to end up, uh, as we usually do, in, in the truth of God's Word, the Bible, to talk about some of these things as well. But right now, I just want to kind of get you to think through some of these things. Four, I got four things. There's many. I, 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 I could have had ten. But I wanted just to kind of generalize a little bit and get it to four, three or four. I ended up with four, really of those, really three. The first one is going to kind of hit for a moment and move on. But a, a basic characteristics of those people who overcome huge hurdles. Wilma Rudolph did, and others like her. first one is a real simple one. <laughs> it's a real simple one, but it's an important one. Characteristics of those who overcome these hurdles of life. First one is this. There is a distinct lack of whining. I just had to throw that in. That's sort of like, that's sort of like the introduction here. There is a distinct lack of whining. I mean, think about it in her life. How easily it would have been for her to say, hey, you know what? God didn't make some of us to play football. God didn't make some of us to run. But she hung on to that. I, I can, this can be overcome. This can be overcome. Um, this is real quick. I want to show you. I, I, I want to show you this real quick. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what God thinks. This is really important stuff. Doesn't matter what I think. What does God think 
about people who whine and complain. What does God say about that? He's very, very clear. Let me show you one, one passage. I'm going to show you two. Let me show you one passage first from Philippians, um, which is the book we're, we're New Testament book we're, we're kind of going through on Sunday, second Sunday uh, tonight. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Did he live in New Jersey? No. Um, sorry, I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> sort of. Uh, let, your li- let your lives shine brightly before them. God makes it really clear. I mean, this is written in 66 A.D. This is, not a, this is not a good quality. Isn't it interesting? I think that no matter what belief a family might have, particularly at least in America, and I can't speak for a lot of other cultures, they may, have, they may be strong, they may have a strong Christian faith, they may have no faith, but one common denominator you hear so many, you hear it in the mall, you hear it in the don't complain, don't complain. I think it's a God ordained truth that that's not an acceptable quality. And let's think about it. How many people do you know that are whiners and complainers, and how much do you like being around them? Huh? I mean, you know, life's too short for that. Let the whiners, let them, you know. Let me, let me show you another one. This is a kind of a fun one. This guy's, I've done a lot of work over the years, study and reading in Proverbs. This is, this is a great Proverbs, not that it applies to my life, but it's a great Proverbs. It is better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining wife. Whoa, baby. <laughs> Sorry. You say, man, that's in the Bible? Guys, I don't want to see this on your refrigerator door, okay? Don't go there. <laughs> I might add, it doesn't have to be a wife. It doesn't have to be a wife, does it? God makes this real clear for us in the Bible. Hey, this isn't, this isn't good. This isn't good, and sometimes it's better to be alone than with some whining, com- complaining person. All right, so that's the first thing, real quick. First characteristic, is, there's a distinct lack of whining. We can always whine. We can always complain. Everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. doesn't take any particular talent, any particular gift. Second thing, and really this is where I really want to just sort of kick it off. It's almost the first thing characteristic of overcoming these huge heroes. Number one, there is a clear acceptance of circumstances. There is a clear acceptance of life as it is. This is very important because this is when we get, when we don't do this is when we get into things like a very popular term called denial. You know, and, and all of us have probably seen people like that. Got a, just a couple of thoughts here from, from some great thinkers, and I'm gonna, we're going to go to the Bible in a moment, but... Um, but let me just show you a couple. One, one great author, philosopher, Bouvier, in the face, I think that's how you say his name, in the face of an obstacle which is impossible to overcome, stubbornness is stupid. I can say, I'm going to make it as a Yankee. I'm going to play for the Yankees. As long as I want to say that and, 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 and just keep playing, thinking that and praying that, and at some point in time, it becomes total stupidity. In my case, it would have been stupidity when I was 19 years old. So age has nothing to do with that here. But you understand the point. 
And that, this, is, this is where I want to start building this friction we have between something that I really believe I should do and really have a desire to do and the circumstances as they are. And listen, one of the things about people who overcome these huge hurdles is there is a clear acceptance of circumstances as they are. I want to read something to you. And um, it's my latest read, and it's a great read, and it's a wonderful book. It's called His Excellency, George Washington, The Life of, of George Washington. And it is so good. It is just so good. Anyway, um, it's just I can't hardly put it down. And I, and I love this stuff anyway. Um, I started with Lincoln, then I went to John Adams, that book on him, then I went to uh, Alexander Hamilton, and now I'm doing this one. I might do Ben Franklin next. But anyway, this guy is one fascinating character in history, George Washington. And, of course, reading about Morristown and, and the winters that he spent there even adds to it. But let me tell you what happened with George. He, George had a little bit of an ego, had a little bit of an ego. And, um, and usually guys who accomplish great things do have a little bit of an ego. He, he recognized it, at least later on. But here's what happens. It's early in the war. And, by the way, when you read this book, and I'm about, I'm about three, a little over halfway through it, I just want to throw this in. When you read this book, Number one, I didn't realize the Revolutionary War really was eight years. It was. Um, and number two, I, I fully believe this. All right, you can, you can call me a patriot or whatever you want to call me. It's amazing that we won that war. I mean, it is phenomenally amazing. And you want, you want to, let me just say something, you know, we, I've lived through... I lived through three, but now I remember Vietnam very well because I had to deal with it in terms of the draft. And now, of course, yeah, and then we had the, the, the Gulf War, now the Iraqi War, and I remember all, all the wars. That we, we always have a, and I'm not, I'm not commenting one way or the other on them, but there's always a large contingent of people who are anti-war. It was no different in 1776. A huge contingent of people who were against the war. It's always been that way. So when people get on TV and they say, oh, the, the country's divided like it's never been, I want to say, read history, you idiot. I mean, you know, at least we don't have people dueling with each other, you know. Uh, it's, just, it's just such a stupid thing to say. That's one of the great things about our country. It, it really is. So anyway, it was, it was, I believe, an act of God. That we, in fact, Ellis, the, the writer here, compares it. He said, if you want to compare it, when we, and I'm, I'm already through the war part of it. I mean, you know, we had... 2,500, 3,000, 3,500 ragtag troops who had nothing. They, they, they were the losers of society in many cases. They had no place else to go. They had no jobs. It was phenomenal. Anyway, I don't want to get off on that, but it's just... I already did, didn't I? Um, um, it's just an amazing thing, and I think it was an act of God, personally, because, the, as I said, Ellis compares it to the boxer who has been beaten to a bloody pulp. He's in the last round. He's totally defeated, and then he lands one lucky blow and ends up winning the bout. That's kind of the way the Revolutionary War was. That's how he compares it. So anyway, it was just, this is what happened at Morristown. Now keep in mind, here's my point. A clear acceptance of circumstances. George Washington was, a, was an aggressive kind of guy, okay? He made two important decisions at Morristown in the winter of 1777. First one was to have all of his troops inoculated for smallpox, which was just running rampant through, through people at that particular time. And that was a big deal, as you know, if you know much about history, to, to be the whole smallpox vaccination stuff. That was the first decision. The second one was less out of conviction than a realistic recogni- uh, recognition of his limited resources. Washington came to accept the fact that he must adopt a more defensive strategy and fight a war of posts 
also called a Fabian strategy after the Roman general Fabius Concuctador, who defeated the Carthaginians by withdrawing whenever his army's fate was at risk. It was a shift in thinking that did not come easy or naturally to Washington. A Fabian strategy, like guerrilla and terroristic tactics or strategies of the 20th century, was, was the preferred approach of the weak. Washington did not believe that he was weak, and he thought that the Continental Army was a projection of himself. Basically, what he said was, you know, I can no longer line these guys up in the normal European, at that time, mode of warfare, where you just run column after column after people. He said, I can't do that. We'll be dead within, the cause will be gone within just a matter of weeks. Phenomenal illustration, I think, because it went, it was so much went against who Washington was, but he accepted the circumstances for what they were. He said, this is what I got, and this is what I have to work with. There is a place for that for you and me when we start talking about hurdles in our life. There are times when we have to say, this is the way that I have a problem. I have an issue in my work, in my career. I don't have the masters, the doctorate that I think I need. And there's no way at this point in life I can get it. Therefore, this is what I have to deal with. I have a learning disability. Therefore, I have to deal with it. I have whatever it is. Some couples that I've known over the years had to deal with the fact, tried and tried and went every doctor for fertility, wanting children. And and somewhere along the line, they had to come to groups. One of us is infertile. We have to deal with that and move on from here. It's kind of a tough illustration, but some of you can relate. And so that's the issue here that we're talking about. There is a clear, people who overcome these things have a clear acceptance of circumstances as they are. There's a tension here. Because are all things possible with God? Yes. And, as, and, and as, as much as they are, I don't think as impossible as, as, impossible over, as the odds are, the, the impossible odds are nothing to God. Even though that's the case, I don't think you're going to be rich te- seeing Rich Teeters play for the Knicks anytime soon. Although the way they're going, I might be able to make the team, I tell you. Uh, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you're not a basketball fan. You don't know how bad they are these days. Uh, let me just show you this real quick. James Mitchner said this in one of his writings. All I can do is play the game the way the cards fall. And that's so true. Second thing that I want you to see uh, as we jump into this thing is this. Yes, there is, a, there is a clear acceptance of circumstances. Secondly, there is a strong determination to change the unchangeable um, or change the changeable. You say, no, wait a minute. This is sounding like a contradiction, Rich. You're on to me. There's a bit of a friction here. I want you to see that. While there is a clear acceptance of circumstances as they are, there is also a strong determination to change the changeable. I've got one quote from you here. This is a great quote for you, show it. Let me just, this is a great quote. And I, I, I know of, I have one friend here, at least, who's a sailor. Some of you might be. And it's a great it's a great thing for that, for you, even if you're not a sailor, I think you'll, 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 you'll like this. It is arrogance to expect that life will always be music. Harmony, like a following breeze at sea, is the exception. In a world where most things wind up broken or lost, our lot is to tack and tune. To make the best of what we got, to tack and to tune. That's a writer, American writer, Oxman, uh, Oxenhorn, rather. Um, 
so there's this, there's this acceptance of, of, of things, the circumstances as they are, and therefore I may have to adjust like Washington did. There is this determination to change the changeable. Now we come to this, for my purposes here, this third thing that's all kind of hopefully going to tie this together, and that is this. There is an unyielding, fervent trust in God. These people that overcome, that truly overcome, there is this unyielding, fervent trust in God Almighty. I want to show you, let's go to the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says, because that's really, that's really where we're going to find some, some, some help and truth. The first one is, a, is maybe, I don't know, maybe you've heard this before. Some, it's been a popular verse in many places. Proverbs chapter 3 goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will direct your paths. Trust God. Trust God. Along with that, that was Solomon. David wrote this before that in Psalm 37, Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. He may change those desires, but He'll give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him, and He will help you. So you see, as I accept the things as they are, and then I have this determination to, to change what is changeable, the only way this is going to even partially get reconciled is somewhere in here I have to trust God. Which brings me to this, let me just, I wrote this and it's, I think, explains it. I couldn't find what I wanted anywhere else, so I wrote it myself. Watch this. Here it is. Follow along with me. Life is a dance between determination and the acceptance of things as they are. The perfection of that dance lies in the fitting of the two together without them stepping on one another. But that too is inevitable. Those two truths accept things as they are and I'm determined to change things. That, 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 that determination and that, and that acceptance, those two things kind of rub against one another in a friction. They step all over each other, and that's where this whole concept, i got to trust God. I have to trust God for a number of things. I have to trust God for wisdom, one, to know which is which. I have to trust God, two, to do what needs to be done in whatever that particular situation happens to be. Life is a dance between determination and the acceptance of things as they are. And those two, those two truths will rub against one another. Which brings us to a great prayer. Maybe you've heard this prayer. It's a very popular prayer. It is used in almost every 12-step program that I'm aware of. And uh, it's a Niebuhr, a Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a philosopher, theologian in this country. Um, in the uh, early 1900s. Um, let's just, let me just show it to you, and you, I think you'll recognize it, a lot of you. God, give us the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. The courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. That's a great prayer. Because sometimes I don't know. 
in this particular crowd, in this particular area, I, I suppose my emphasis is clear. My emphasis has been not so much as don't quit as much as it is sometimes you have to accept things the way they are. But, you know, there's really two sides to that. It's wrong to quit too soon. It's just as wrong to hang on to something for too long. Whether we're talking about a particular ambition, I, 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 think, of two, I think of two or three, I mentioned the, the childless couple that, that's really striving to have children. That's always an issue. When do we quit going to... to we, we did that at one point after our first, because we couldn't have a second one. And, you know, and after a while, you're like, okay, I've hung from enough raptors trying to do this thing. Now let's, let's figure out how, we're, how this is going to happen. Sorry. Just a, a, a point of... You understand my point. But anyway, uh, um, you, you, you have to come to grips, those of you who have been through this. And Mary, you have to say, okay, God, that's the way things are. This isn't going to be changed. I think of some guys I've known over the years who've tried to make it in Major, in major League Baseball who bust their hump in minor league. Just, that's one of the reasons I love minor league baseball because you go out there and you just, these guys are just, they're just out there for the love of the game. They're not out there for money. Now, they're trying to make money someday, but they're just busting their butt trying to make it just, just for the love of the game. And I've known some of those guys who just never made it. Where do they draw that line? I've known few business people trying to, trying to jump over that, that intangible line to, to really making it in business. And for whatever reason, maybe it's their shortcomings, maybe it's circumstances, but for whatever reasons, can't seem to get there. For some of you, it, 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 it's in other areas. Maybe it's in marriage. Maybe it's overcoming a divorce. Maybe it's seeking to get married. Maybe it's just to, do, to go to the next level, wherever you are and whatever you are. I mean, you can just kind of think through this. And there's lots of things. And there's a whole issue here. It's, it's wrong to quit too soon, and it's wrong to hang on too long. You know, that's the issue there. And that's, that's a fine line, and that's why this prayer is just so good. God, give us grace to accept the, with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which, can't, which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish one from the other. Let me just show you one more passage from the Bible that I think will help us think through this. And I'm going to, before we do it, let me just tell you this. You're not going to leave here with a formula today. I wish I could do that for you. And there are probably some years past when I might have been so arrogant and uh, presumptuous to give you some, here's a formula to figure out what you should do. But I've lived just long enough to know there aren't any formulas. Gosh, I wish there were. I wish there were. Let me show you what the Apostle Paul talks about again from the book of Philippians. Dearest friends, he says, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, you must be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives. This is my note. Striving for a consistency between your spiritual and human nature. I came up with that thought as I read about four, 12 different uh, translations of this. Okay, so it's not just my words. Uh, put into action God's saving work in your lives. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For, look at this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. Work out isn't that good? Work out 
God's saving work in your lives. That's what that is. Some people think that means you have to, to work to get your approval before God. No, you don't. God approves you and loves of you before the foundations of the earth. What I do or what I don't do may please God or may displease Him, but it doesn't make me any more acceptable or less acceptable. God's accepted me for who I am a long time ago. That's a great truth. What this is talking about, though, when he says, you know, this whole thing of put into action God's saving work in your lives, is this is something that has to be arrived at through a relationship with God. And you're saying, okay, God, Here's this stuff going on. I have this determination, but it doesn't seem to be happening. On the other side of that, God, maybe it's not going to happen, and, and, and maybe I'm not going to play in the NBA this year, to use an extreme example, obviously. See, and, and that's when we have to kind of pull that whole thing together, and where's the answer? Sometimes you seek counsel. Nothing wrong with that. Proverbs says there's, a, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So that's, not only is there nothing wrong with it, there's a lot right about that. But the final decision has to come between you and God. Whatever these things, it may, be a, it may be what other people may think is a very small thing, but it's not small to you. And it may be something life-changing as well. But that's the issue. Do I have the ability to overcome some of the huge hurdles that a Wilma Rudolph overcame? I do. Is it God's desire that I overcome those, those, those hurdles? Yeah, it really is. Does that mean that everything, every goal that I have, everything I'm, that I'm going to be able to overcome? Maybe not. Maybe God wants to take some of those very same things and maybe accomplish something different through that. And the, 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 the part that's so assuring to me is what he says there in verse 13. God is working in you giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. And therein lies the answer. God at work in me. It's a great truth. Great friction. Answers can only come as we seek God and we seek, as we seek that relationship with God. Just, just talking to God. Just, we talked about last week, prayer. Okay, God, I need some help. Help me to know. And that may take a while. And that may be reading the circumstances the right way. But that can happen. Let's pray together. God, these are, these are some valuable truths for all of us. And I'd pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would just work in all of our hearts and all of our lives and help us to think through these things because these are, these are not things we can take lightly. Lord, I, I don't know what each person might be dealing with here this morning. I've tried to mention some examples, and I probably haven't done a great job of that, but there's a lot of different things that, that folks might be dealing with, everything from, from children to job opportunities and ambitions to houses and career moves and who knows what else except you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and insight that can only come by being in relationship with you. Lord, I'm so thankful for how you've given us Jesus who came and lived and went to the cross and died and went to the tomb and rose again to give us eternal life and to make possible for us a relationship with you. 
And for some of us, Lord, it's a matter of starting there. For others of us, it's a matter of saying, Lord, I, I, I want to be, I want to do, I want to know the things that, that I need to know in order to live my life with the kind of fulfillment, abundance, that you tell us that we can have. We thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your, for your grace and your redemption and the redemptive purposes going on in all of our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, all right? Thanks for being here. How are we doing? We're doing good. Uh, take a minute. If you're visiting, all right, whether you're, whoever you are, take a minute, grab another bagel or something. Give us, everybody a chance to meet you and talk to you. Uh, next service starts at 11 o'clock, so we've got plenty of time. Thanks for coming. Let's, uh, let me give a benediction, and uh, we'll get out of here. God, may we go in your grace and in your peace and in your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.